Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Welcome to this podcast, which is an abridged version of the television interview that I did with Miriam Margulies that was transmitted as part of my In Conversation series on the W Channel. I hope you enjoy it. This podcast is brought to you by UKTV Play, the free on-demand service. Tonight I'm going to be in conversation with an award-winning actress who's been part of one of the biggest film franchises that the world's ever seen. And when she's not on stage or screen, her hobby is genealogy. Yes, I'm going to be talking to Miriam Margulies. Thank you. Uh, Miriam, your interest in your family tree, your genealogy, well, what sparked that? I think it's because I don't have brothers and sisters and my parents have been long dead and I need a family. And so about 25 years ago, I started to look for my family and it's taken me all over the world and I met some wonderful people and some ghastly people as well. Yeah. But... It's a passion, it's an obsession. And it's something that's growing because, you know, the television programmes are all on yeah. it now. Um, who do you think you are? If you, you've never done that? Well, I know it all, so, so. <laughs> there's no point in there interviewing me. I did Who Do You Think You Are? And uh, the most prominent story that they came across was my great-great-grandfather, because I came to show business late, he came to show business late. He was in his 50s. And he came to show business as a black and white minstrel. Well, your great-grandfather was a minstrel. Mine was a criminal. <laughs> and uh, that was a very exciting because it, the 1881 census was the first census that's been indexed by name before yeah. all the um, websites and all that. And it said C-O-N-V by his name. And I, didn't, I couldn't quite work out what that was, so I, I asked the lady at the microfilm next to me, and she said, oh, it means convict. I went, really? <laughs> really a convict? I was thrilled. So what have you found about your family history? Because you, your father was Scottish. My father was a Scottish doctor. His father came from Belarus as a peddler, you know, just selling little jewels to the miners' wives in the lowland villages of, of Scotland. And he did well and made well, how money. Did, how did he get from Belarus to Scotland? Well, he came by ship. I don't know the exact route, but they came to the port of Leith. Right. And then, they, and then they crossed over to, to Glasgow. And they thought it was New York. I mean, this is a very common story because the, 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 the thought... ship captains wanted to get them off the boats because then they could go back and get another load. So they, they said, uh, New York, New York. And, and the captain said, Da, da, New York. Get out, <laughs> New York. This is so true of what happened in Liverpool as well because the population of Liverpool grew after the potato famine in Ireland. And what happened, the ships went from Ireland, and this is where I'm sure happened within my family as well. The ships went from Dublin 
And he sailed first to Liverpool to pick up spices and stuff before going to New York. And a lot of the Irish had got drunk in Dublin, got on the ship, seen Liverpool, said, is that New York? He said, yeah. And he went, Jesus, Mary, it's not as far as I thought. And got, <laughs> and got off and lived there. That's exactly right. That's what happened. And so my uh, grandfather ended up in Glasgow. And that's where they settled and where my father was born and, and his family. And it's still a place that I really love and care for. But you grew up in Oxford? Yes, because my father, once he graduated from Glasgow University, he went on the Paddy Henderson line from Glasgow to Rangoon as a ship surgeon. And then he came back and he decided he wanted to, you know, be a doctor. So he, he went to London, joined um, a Jewish tennis club and met my mother. And she was from a lower-class family because her father was a second-hand furniture salesman, which is not as posh as being, you know, a doctor. So she wanted to get up in the world, and she made a dead set for my father. And he fell in love with her because she was very pretty and very clever. And he was handsome. He had a little moustache, and he looked like Charlie Chaplin. And uh, they got married. And she told me that she didn't love him when they married. But she grew to love him, and they had a wonderful marriage, wonderful. And so they they met in a Jewish tennis club, you you said... Yes, well, you know, people don't like Jews much, so so they have to have their own sporting places, you know, (laughs) their own tennis clubs, their own golf clubs. It's not like that so much now. People have forgiven Jews for killing Jesus, but, you know, there's... But uh, that's how it was. You had your own tennis club, and she went to a Jewish tennis club, and that's where they met. When did they this get married? This would have been in the 1930s. They got married in 1936. And this was a time where being Jewish really did set you apart from other people because the, yes, the rise of anti- so. anti-Semitism in Europe must yeah. have had an effect on your family. Yes. I mean, I think that I'm over-concerned with being Jewish. I think that most people now, they don't care one way or the other, and that's really how it should be. But when I was growing up, we were terribly conscious of who was Jewish and who wasn't. You were born in 1941. I was, which makes me 74, nearly 75. Isn't that well incredible? That, yeah. I, d- I don't look bad. I can't, I can't walk very well because my knees are bad and I, I'm having a new knee in, a, in about a couple of months. But my face is youthful, you know. I think I've got quite a young face considering I'm old. You know, I don't need Botox or anything like that. But it's talking about being a child at that time and, I, and it, it fascinates me when I was looking at everything that you've said, being Jewish at that time in, in history. You're self-awareness as a child would have come as the awareness of the Holocaust would have come out. How did that affect your family's sense of identity? I think everybody was scarred by the Holocaust, whether you were actually involved in it or lost people or not. In fact, I didn't find out that we had lost any family until, you know, maybe 10 years ago. But yes, you felt an awareness. And in Oxford at that time... A lot of people had come from Europe uh, as refugees and you saw all the time the mark of the concentration camp, the number on their arm. And I remember asking somebody, what's that? What is that? And they said, you don't want to know. You don't want to know. So we we weren't really told much about it, but gradually the knowledge filtered through. And of course, I think everybody was shocked, you know, not just Jewish people. But English people everywhere, I mean, we, we feel for what happened. And I never forget it. I never can forget it. Would you say that your family was posh? They would say it. 
<laughs> I don't know. I don't think we were posh. Uh, we're middle. We're middle class. I mean, you can tell from this this voice that I'm saddled with. Well, this know, Oxford accent that I've well, got. When you say you're saddled with it, I mean it's a beautiful voice, and I know it's it's served you well. I, I read that you said your voice has defined you when you walk into a room. In England, and in, in the Eng British Isles, that is the truth. Well, I know, because the first thing you said to me is, do you really speak like that? <laughs> <laughs> and I, I, part of me wished I could say, well, no, I've got another four choices here. Which one do you want? <laughs> but I like that honesty, which seems to be part of your character, where you just say exactly what's in the front of your mind. Well, as soon as you open your mouth, you are a scouser, you know, that, yeah. that's just clear. And also, you come from a working-class background. That's also clear. But now you're not working-class because you've made money, you've become famous, you've become good at what you do. So you've, you've socially mobiled into the middle class. And as so have I. My family were not posh. But yeah. now I think I am quite posh. Yeah, you but know. your father was a GP in Oxford. That's posh. I th yes, I think it is a bit posh. But my mother was never posh. She was always a little bit different, yeah, a little you, bit below. Everything that I've, I've read about your mum makes me wish I'd met her. She sounds like a real strong character. She was a strong character. She was wonderful. My parents were everything in the world to me. I miss them. Yeah. I miss them now. And I loved them, I admired them, I used, to, I used to fight with them, I wasn't always a good daughter, but I deeply loved and respected them, and I'm very proud of what they accomplished in their lives. My, I was conceived, actually, during an air raid. My mother told me that. <laughs> and I've always said that's because my hair, that's why my hair's like this. <laughs> sort of a, a bit sort of as if it's had an electric shock, you know. So... <laughs> How would you describe your childhood then? I think it was a happy childhood. It wasn't deprived or anything. It was happy. Yeah. And I went to a lovely school, the Oxford yeah. High School, which I loved. And it I seems had very important, your school. It was an old-fashioned girls' grammar school, single-sex school, teachers who'd probably lost their lovers in the Second World War, and they were totally focused on teaching, and they were really good at their job. And they taught me to love literature, and literature has been a, a, a source of joy and inspiration all my life. And I was thinking about it this morning. You know, I was on the loo, and I was thinking, what do I love in my life? Because, you know, you love a good shit, don't you? And that's one of the things you love. <laughs> but, 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 that's a human thing. But I thought, what are the other things in life that have meant so much to me? And literature is one of them. And that came from my school and my teachers there. That love of literature is dominated, really, by your love of Dickens, isn't it? Yes, yes. And of all the pantheons of literature, why is it Dickens that attracts you the most? Again, I think it's possibly something to do with being Jewish, because the first Dickens novel I read was Oliver Twist, mm -hmm. and Fagin is the yeah. horrible Jewish character in that. And I remember, I was 11, I was reading the book, and I thought, this slimy Jew crawling along the pavement, cruel, vicious, dangerous, a schemer. And this wasn't like anyone that I had ever met. And I thought, who, who is this man who can write about such things? And although I have never met anything like that, it has the patina of truth on it. Mm. I believed in those characters. And I became fascinated by Charles Dickens and the world 
that he created. And that fascination has never, never gone from me. I'm, I'm still with it. So you said that you, you fell in love with literature. You went on to do a degree in English literature. Didn't you get offered a place at both Oxford and Cambridge? How clever are you? Because <laughs> there's not many people get that, is there? I don't know. How clever am I? I'm shrewd. I don't know if I'm that clever. I'm not, a, I'm not a scholar. I'm not really a scholar. I'm an intellectual snob. That I am. I loved literature and that's what they wanted at university and I was able to convince the dons when I went for my interview. At Oxford there was a don who was a bit like that, you know. She said, Milton, damn good poet. You know, <laughs> <laughs> that, that was a bit scary. sticks. Yes, she was a bit like that. Um, but... At Cambridge, they were so warm and, and focused on us, the, the students. And I remember saying to the woman who was interviewing me, um, I really want to come to this college. Please accept me. Well, of course, I got in, didn't I? I mean, <laughs> she couldn't resist it. And when you arrived in Cambridge, did you spread your wings? Not quite in the way you mean, I think. <laughs> no, I never, 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 as I said that, I suddenly thought, why have I done that? Maybe my wings, not my legs. <laughs> <laughs> but did you, did you engage in what you perceived university life was going to be like? Oh, yes. With every fibre of my being, yes. It was a glorious period of my life. It really was. I, the friends that I made at Cambridge are the friends that I hold close to my heart now. Yeah. And I, it, it was wonderful. And I acted, of course. I acted a lot in, in the college productions and the university productions that they, that they have there. It was my training for life and it was my training as an actress. I know you joined Footlights, which you said wasn't always the best experience. No, and I'm always reluctant to talk about this, but I, I think I should because it gives me the chance to say horrible things about people and I love that. Um, <laughs> My revenge, the time of my revenge. No, I, Footlights was a, a club, um, yeah. which at that time women were not allowed to join. You were only invited as a, as a guest. And they, they, there were some very brilliant boys there. They weren't nice boys, but they were brilliant boys. You were in Cambridge Footlights at the same time as John Cleese, as the Python boys, Eric Idle. In fact, I think we've got a photograph of you in Cambridge Footlights. Oh, yes. And there's, you know, there's, there's famous, famous people there. Everyone goes, well, that looks like it, it's, you're having a wonderful time. I did have a, a, a very good time, but not when I was actually doing the review because they didn't really like a woman being funny and getting the laughs. And I was, I was pushy and self-confident, and they didn't like that. They liked their women to be on their backs, really. And I wasn't like that. That wasn't me. And so I wasn't liked, and they showed it by not speaking to me when I was off stage. So we would do the show, and we would do sketches together, and then as soon as I left the stage, I was a non-person. They ignored me. They didn't speak to me. They sent me to Coventry. And that is how it was. And it's, you know, it, it was horrible at the time. And it really, really hurt me. When you say it hurt you, you still did it. You know, it wasn't... It, it, you're, well, you're, I wasn't going to let them win. No, but what I'm, what I'm trying to say is, like, your, your course was English literature. You didn't have to do the footlight. And I'm trying to get to the point that the joy that you received from being on stage from the audience outweighed the negativity of hanging around with complete twats. 
Which is why, and I don't say that word lightly, because that's what I think. Well, they were they bullies. Must have been. They yeah. were they were bullying me, and you know you don't expect that to happen in people of real talent because they had real talent. John Cleese was a genius, definitely, but he was a shit as well, yeah. and that's that's the fact of the matter. Those first days when you left Cambridge and you're trying to build a career, what what was that period like? Because that must that must be difficult to build up a reputation. It's it was hard. It was very hard, and um, I wasn't always doing well and making money and so on. I, I it was a very tough. But were your parents supportive? Totally supportive. My mother particularly. My father was anxious for me because he knew that the theatre was a precarious profession. And every year he would say to me, um, Miriam, uh, what was your income last year? <laughs> oh, dear. <laughs> and then when I started to, you know, to, to do better and to make money, and he would say, Miriam, what was your income? Oh, really? <laughs> and that was an improvement, you see. But Mummy always thought that I that I was good and gave me confidence. And it really matters. It matters to have someone who believes in you. Oh, definitely. And I've always been, you know, a fat person with no neck. And I had, I had good eyes and a good voice. And that helped. That was my plus. And everything else was minus. <laughs> but I still kept going, you know. And, you, I, and I've kept going. You said about your voice and your ability to do different voices. I didn't realise until we were bringing it on the show what an influence you had on my childhood because there was one advert that you voiced where I used to watch it and, like, a lot of boys of my age be quite confused at the end of it. We'll just play the advert and men of a certain age will know exactly what I'm saying. Hey, Mr Beaver, why are you beavering around? Haven't you heard of Cadbury's Caramel? See, as the thick Cadbury's milk chocolate melts with that dreamy caramel, you just have to take things really easy. Looks like somebody else could do with some. Take it easy with Cadbury's Caramel. Let's be honest. There's men of a certain age in this room who've got a semi now. <laughs> we'll cut that out. <laughs> that was such a sexy rabbit. I was about eight on that. I think, oh, oh, I love caramel. <laughs> I used to do sex tapes, actually. Um, sex tapes? Audio, never visual. <laughs> so, how and, did that work? It worked very well, I think. Um, <laughs> I was asked to go and audition for this <laughs> sex tape. And I went to the, to the back room of Anne Summers' sex shop in Tottenham Court... No, in... Yeah, Tottenham Court Road. I think it was around in Soho somewhere. And in this warehouse at the back, there were all these winking vaginas and, <laughs> and scrotum sacks, you know, and, and sort of nip, nip, nipple... Twisters and things, uh, very curious uh, um, engineering uh, tools. Yeah. There is a factory somewhere that does There's, that. That's churning them out. That, that's yeah. gone, and, uh, it's ni nipple clamps this week, lads. Yeah, let's change it. Let's change it. <laughs> and 
this chap, I can only remember that he he was sweating profusely and quite stout. And he had, you know, he was all right there. And he said, now, Miriam, uh, here's a script. Um, I just want you, your sexy Sonia, and I want you to, uh, you know, and you're, you're sitting there and this man's got a... You know, he's he's got a, a sort of bulge in his trousers, and I and I want you to sort of, uh, you know, just um, give me what you what you can round that subject. <laughs> <laughs> and so I just um, became the character of this schoolgirl who was terribly excited and oh oh yes, that's nice, that's nice. You know, whatever whatever. I can't remember the script now. It wasn't very distinguished. <laughs> Not Dickens, let's be honest. No, definitely. It was a dick, but it wasn't Dickens. <laughs> All dick and no Dickens. Yes, you're right. <laughs> this podcast is sponsored by UK TV Play, the free on-demand service, where you can watch the TV shows you love from Dave, Yesterday, Really and Drama, wherever you want, whenever you want. The home of BAFTA-nominated series Taskmaster and the critically acclaimed Red Dwarf alongside other UK TV Play exclusive, including The White Princess and Most Haunted. UK TV Play offers free access to thousands of hours of comedy, drama, documentaries and paranormal TV, all for free. If you thought the only way to get a more defined jawline with natural-looking results was through surgery, think again. Juvederm Volux XC is a non-surgical injectable gel filler that improves moderate to severe loss of jawline definition and can help you achieve natural-looking results with little downtime. Even better, this improved definition lasts up to one year with optimal treatment. No maintenance required. Improve jawline definition for a smooth, sculpted look with Juvederm Volux XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. I, I had a little look, actually, of all your credits, and it appears you've never been out of work. There's never been a period you've well, got a Well, for a, a long time, I haven't been out of work. That's true. But at the very beginning, I was out of work a lot. For, like all and, actors are, I Yes, guess. and I just keep going and, you know, like the... The bunny, I suppose. Not the Cadbury's bunny, the, the other bunny. <laughs> but there was one moment when you did The Age of Innocence where you stepped up, you won a BAFTA, and I think yeah. you, you then became, within the film industry, internationally recognisable because it was such a strong part against Daniel Day-Lewis. I didn't expect that. I mean, never even occurred to me that I, that I would get such a thing. And I remember that Maggie Smith was up for the award the same award. And afterwards, I met her in a restaurant somewhere and she came up to me and she said, I voted for you. 
I'm glad you got it. You deserved it. And I thought, what a darling lady. Thank you. So I, I was really chuffed about that. But did it change things for you personally in the street? Yes, I think it did, because people get very excited. I mean, it was so funny. The other day, I was at King's Cross, and I suddenly saw this nine-and-a-half platform, and I thought, oh, that's the Harry Potter one. So I thought, I'm going to give them a good time. So, I, <laughs> so I, I went under the barrier, you know, there's a sort of um, walled-off bit, and I went under there and I said, now, everybody, <laughs> this is such a good moment for you because I am Professor Sprout. Here I am in person and you can take photographs of me and you can have photographs with me and I won't charge you a penny. <laughs> so come on, roll up and have your photograph taken. And they all did. Oh, did they? <laughs> it was fabulous. <laughs> I loved it. What I've found when I've come into this industry, there's elements of it that you can control. And that's why I often, when I've spoke to people who've worked in film and theatre, they enjoy theatre more because you're, you are in that moment. Yes. When you're in film, it's a year later it comes out and then the studio decides who does this and there's canvassing for that. You're kind of judged on so many different elements. Well, it's not, it's not your yeah. medium. It belongs to the director. The director decides what the audience sees on camera. You can be acting your socks off and nobody's going to see it if it's not on the camera. So mm. it's not an actor's medium. And theatre's mm. always what I want to do more than anything else. Theatre, having an audience yeah. is the most fabulous feeling. You know that as a, yeah, yeah. As, as, as a performer. I've never seen you perform, you know. That, that, that's You're not such the a... first girl to say that to me. <laughs> <laughs> that was me performing, that's what I do. <laughs> I will have to arrange it at some point. I would love to. So as, as an artist, because one of the things that you've done with your, your relationship with Dickens is this series that you've done, Dickens Women, where you, you've taken the female characters and built them into one performance, which is all you. Yes, well, it was a kind of homage to Charles yes. Dickens, to show people what an incredibly great writer he is, what a varied writer, and what a complex man he was also. When you say he's a complex man, he didn't have the greatest of relationships with women, though, did he? No, he didn't. He, he felt that his mother had betrayed him when he was a little boy because she'd sent him to work in a blacking factory when he was 11, and he never forgave her for it. And he was jilted by a young woman that he fell in love with, and he couldn't deal with that. And then his wife got fat and heavy and lethargic after bearing 12 children. Yeah. I mean, three died, but she had 12 births. And he blamed them all. He wasn't a very nice man in no. some ways. Now, you got back with your wife, didn't you? And so you're now living with a woman that you were at one time estranged from. Is that yeah. right? I think that's wonderful. I love to hear that. Because you both grew again towards each other, having grown apart. But in some respects, you've done a similar thing. I mean, you've had a partner for a long time. I mean, how long have you yes. and your partner been together? Um, we've been together, blimey, uh, for 48 years. 48 years? But in those 48 years, have you lived together? We have lived together for some of the time, but most of it not. I think that's why we're still together, actually. <laughs> it's true, because me and Melanie operate on a two-weekly cycle. If we haven't seen each other for two weeks, that's too long. And if we're yeah. in the same place together for two weeks, that's too long. <laughs> 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 and we kind of go like that. 
And I think it's good for a relationship, but your relationship for 48 years, sometimes even being in the same country. No, we're not, we're not in the same country most of the time. Everybody makes their own relationship, yeah. doesn't, don't they? I, I think it's very hard to comment on someone else's relationship. I only know what, what works for us. We now have a civil partnership. We didn't want to get married because I think that marriage is for straight people and we are not straight. We're, we're gay and therefore it seemed to me inappropriate to get married. However, if people want to get married, if that is how they see their relationship, then I think they should be able to get married. I think it is utterly absurd to, to, to stop people getting yeah. married because they're the same sex. Completely stupid. I'm not wise about relationships. No. I don't know I don't much think about it. Is. We just do the best we can and we love each other deeply. I'm lucky. Somebody loves me and that is desperately important. If I lost her, my life would truly collapse. I, I, I couldn't live without her. And maybe I couldn't live with her. Yeah. I, don't, I don't know. Well, maybe she couldn't live with me. And yeah, I know your parents got to meet her but didn't... Un Realised she was your oh, partner. Oh, no, that was... They couldn't have accepted it. Absolutely mm. couldn't. And this is one of the things where I'm criticised very much by the gay community, who otherwise, I think, like me. But on this subject, they are not pleased with me because I say that you should not make your parents or people who love you who cannot accept it, you shouldn't make them aware of it. It isn't right. It asks too much of people. And when I told my parents about the fact that I was a lesbian, it hurt them so much. It caused them so much pain. I wish I'd never done it. Coming out is all fine for you, but what does it do to the person that you come out to? It can hurt them. It can d destroy them. And yes, they should be big enough to accept it. They should be. But if they are not, if they can't help it, if they can't accept it, then leave it alone. That's what I think. But you had such a close relationship with your parents. I know. And it was because I had a close relationship with them that I wanted them to know what I really wanted in life yeah. and who I really loved. But that was selfish of me. I should have just shut up about it and gone along and lied and been whatever they wanted me to be and yet secretly have kept my real self as it, as it really is. But I shouldn't have told my mother. It, I think it gave her a stroke. I, I think it, it destroyed her happiness. I shouldn't have done it. You think it gave her a stroke because she had the stroke a couple of days after yeah. you told her? Yeah, and I... Is that, is that really fair on yourself? Well, I don't know. I don't know. But I feel guilty about it and it ups, it, it, it's, it's hard, you know. I, I feel very, very bad about it because it was selfish of me it was really selfish and that's why i tell people you know don't come out to people who can't cope with it yeah. if they can cope with it that's fine but if they can't don't push them don't push them so far it's cruel and gay people don't like that they think that's absolutely the wrong attitude but i can't help it i think i'm right <laughs> where did you meet we met um, at uh, the cinema. We, we went to see The Charge of the Light Brigade, a wonderful film, and I sat next to her. This was arranged by a, a mutual friend because I'd written to Katie, this mutual friend, and said, I've become a lesbian. And she said, oh, gosh, I know one of those. And, uh, <laughs> <laughs> and so we, we met. 
And I looked at her, I sat next to her, and I looked right through the film, I looked at her. And she was obviously aware of my looking at her and feeling rather uncomfortable and wondering why. And at the end, I said to Katie, Katie, I like that girl. I want you to bring her to lunch <laughs> next week. And at two o'clock, you go <laughs> and leave me alone with her. And she said, well, how, how am I going to do that? I said, well, just think of something, for goodness sake, you know, just do it. And Katie is the soul of honour. She's incapable of lying. So when it came to two o'clock, she went, oh, oh, God, it's two o'clock. Um, I've got to go. And my partner said, what do you mean, go? We've only just arrived. And she said, no, I've got to go, I've got to go. And she, she ran out. And I said, you know, I took her to the door and I said, thank you, thank you. And she said, now, don't tell her. Don't tell her that, that I've told you she's gay because she doesn't know. Just... You know, just don't say anything. And so she left, and then I went back, m metaphorically rubbing my hands to, <laughs> to think, aha, I'm now alone with the woman of my dreams. Because I knew as soon as I met her, I knew she was the one for me. You knew? I knew. It, as we Jews say in my puppuch, I knew. And a, a puppuch. It's that? hard to describe what a puppuch is, and I'm not sure I even should. But, um... <laughs> As far as I know, a pupach is the innermost bit of you. The inner, in my innermost bit, I knew that she was for me. And that's never wavered, unfortunately. Never wavered. Never wavered. She had no idea, poor soul, of course. <laughs> when did she find out ten years later? <laughs> I don't know when she found out, but I know that from that afternoon we didn't get out of bed for a week. I remember it. <laughs> Any caramel? <laughs> <laughs> Lesbians don't need caramel. <laughs> you know, I'm, I'm, I think, perhaps a little bit known for talking about farting because yeah. it's something that I do and I imagine you do and, and many others. Well, I do um, more now. I never... I, I used to know... I, I'll be honest, I've reached an age now where I, I, I used to know I was going to fart and I'd say to me, mates, I'm going to fart, whereas now I reach up for a book and I go... Oh. <laughs> you know, I'm near I'm 50 this year and so... Yeah, there's more farting in my life than there used to be, let's be honest. <laughs> But I, for me, the moment when I felt completely at home w with my partner was when I farted with her for the first time. Wonderful. You know, I mean, I, I, I'd been holding them in, you know, <laughs> for days, it seemed like. And uh, when I let it out, it was glorious. It was glorious. I think to myself, how could people, if they have to divorce or they're on their own and then they meet somebody... How do they deal with the farting yeah, exactly. thing? We always ask our guests to bring in a special picture, a special photograph. And you've picked this photograph of a person that you've clearly loved and still do. That's my father. That glorious picture was taken on his 90th birthday. And look how lovely he is with his little Charlie Chaplin moustache and those very strong eyebrows. He was a good man and I loved him. And so I chose that picture because I, you know, I often talk about my mother, but I don't talk enough about my father. And he gave me, you know, the sense of right and wrong, 
um, and a sense of pride in, in what I've come from and who I am. And he was a wonderful doctor, really especially good doctor. So I thought, what else in life is that, that I should share with you, that the person I sprang from? And there he is. Let me tell you a little story about him. He came to live with me. I, I looked after him until he died in my, in my home. I had made enough money in America to be able to do that because it's very expensive looking after people, you know. Um, National Health Service doesn't cover it remotely. And um, I thought, I, I don't really want him to live with me because it's going to be too cramping. It's, you know, he, he doesn't see me as a grown-up. He, he says mm. things like, your hair, your hair's in a shocking state, you know, that sort of thing. And... Um, so I had and have um, a flat in my house, in the basement of my house. So I said to him, Daddy, I want you to move into the flat downstairs in my basement. He said, no, I'm not doing that. A doctor does not live in a basement. <laughs> and I said, but Daddy, it, it's a beautiful flat. I mean, I've really done it up. It's lovely. I don't care. I'm not moving into a basement flat. And that's that. So, and he locked himself in his room. <laughs> and I thought, crikey, what am I going to do? And so I called through the door and I said, listen, Daddy, I promise you, you do not have to move into the basement flat if you don't like it. But will you please just look at it? Just look at it. And I give you on my word of honour, if you don't like living there, you'll stay living with me. He said, do you promise? And I said, on my word of honour. He said, all right, then I'll come and have a look at it. So I remember it very well because he came out to the front door, went down the steps of my house and round into the entrance to the, to the basement. And he walked down the stairs and I opened the door and he went round and he looked. And, you know, there was a bedroom, a sitting room, looking onto the back garden, a kitchen and a bathroom and a nice big hallway. And he looked round and he said, mm, uh-huh, uh-huh, yeah. Uh-huh. He said, Miriam, this is not a basement flat. This is a garden flat. <laughs> well, as far as I'm concerned, I'm sure everyone will agree. This has been a wonderful conversation, Miriam. Thank you. Thank you very much. This podcast was brought to you by UK TV Play, the free on-demand service. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns.